G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us once again today. Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020. Thank you Neil, good to be back with you. Uh, Martin, this will be the last sitting week of the Federal Parliament and interestingly, as we were talking last week, the likelihood that there would be some legislation tabled in the Parliament around religious discriminations, well, the Prime Minister on Saturday announced that the government needs more time uh, to get the laws right and this is something that you're welcoming. Yes, it is, Neil. I do want people to know that this is a good thing. I think um, most people would react to that after uh, expecting the bill to come on this week for some time, and the Attorney-General had been committing to that um, and uh, had been repeating that, uh, and everyone was expecting it, and everyone's getting fairly anxious about uh, the fact that these laws should pass, but to have the Prime Minister come out and suddenly say, oh, look, it isn't going to happen this year could uh, worry some people. I just want to uh, make sure that everybody knows that it's not bad news because I think you and I, Neil, have talked before about the concerns that we've had with the bill uh, and some of the shortcomings that we think uh, are part of what it offers um, and, and some unintended consequences too that, that people have thought through and seen where it could really go wrong in the future. And, and we were looking at a situation where a defective bill was going to be put into the parliament but look, faith leaders, a huge range of faith leaders <clears throat> from all different Christian denominations and across other faiths as well, including the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, wrote a letter to the Prime Minister just saying, look, our concerns are pretty grave about this um, and uh, look, we think more time is needed. Um, I was able to reach out to the Prime Minister and uh, through his office and uh, look, uh, long story short, um, the Prime Minister really listened very carefully to the concerns that have been raised. Uh, and the Prime Minister's taken this very seriously. And uh, as a result, what he has effectively said is, well, let's do another bill, let's go back to the drawing board, let's draft something fresh, uh, and let's bring that on into the Parliament next year. So it's good news. It means that he listened, and he risked a fair bit, I think, uh, in terms of political capital and the possibility of media backlash and all of that by making this call. So it's a really good outcome. I'm, I'm really pleased about it. Hey, Martin, a revised draft is likely to be presented before the end of the year. So no doubt the conversation, the discussion, the debate around this is going to continue quite strongly into the new year. So we're likely to see a revised draft before Christmas, no doubt. <clears throat> and then obviously there'll be a process then before this comes to the Parliament again next year. That's right. So basically what's going to happen is that they're going to do... So when they do a draft bill, they call it an exposure draft, which basically means they write up a possible framework. They say, well, here's, here's an example of what it could be, and they'll let everybody have a say on it uh, before it goes to the parliament. That's what they just did, but what they're going to do is do a second exposure draft. So they're going to go back, make significant changes based on the feedback they've received, uh, and then the second exposure draft is going to be released before Christmas, not put in the parliament, just released so that everyone can have a look and then everyone can provide further comments, and then it'll be released into the Parliament in February. There's quite a few sitting weeks in February, so there'll be plenty of time 
for that to happen. Now, we think that it won't pass in February. It'll be the subject of debate and maybe a committee process. But who knows? That, that's in the future and it's up to the parliament and how the, the lay of the land is at that stage. But uh, yes, we'll have a second exposure draft, a second draft law by Christmas, probably. Uh, so much to talk about, but just quickly topping off as we move on, the idea of the uh, religious freedom reforms uh, to do with this uh, discrimination legislation, uh, you'd like to see, Martin, uh, people who have faith in God are protected so that they're able to quote the Bible or uh, even any religious text, uh, whether that's in public, whether it's online, whether it's in your workplace, that freedom should be there. And that risks, uh, we actually have the risk of that being taken away if the government doesn't get this right. So uh, some very significant things here for Christian believers to be prayerful about. And also, I guess, talking about these things either around the family table or uh, in the groups that you're a part of. Hmm. Oh, look, that's, it's that simple, Neil. Uh, and if people want to know what's at stake, it's just literally that. Can you talk freely about your faith? Can you quote the scriptures? Uh, and can you retain your job? It's that simple. Can you uh, uh, be uh, sure that you won't fall foul of state anti-discrimination law? Um, or indeed, can we run Christian schools and make sure that they can talk about their beliefs and teach kids their beliefs? Uh, or indeed hire Christian staff to maintain their ethos? It's all these basic things we've taken for granted for a very long time. And because of the legal nature of these things with same-sex marriage and a few other changes it, it all of those things have been put at risk and there's a lot of early cases where those things are at risk we're seeing it uh we're seeing that reality uh start to manifest and so this law is crucial just to making sure that christian people can live free um and without those fears okay there is a delay it's not a bad thing uh, let's move on there's a whole bunch of things to cover and we'll see if we can touch on these uh, I was talking last week about the way that Victoria is planning to outlaw conversion therapies uh, for gay people, gay conversion therapies. Uh, but this is something already quite well advanced in some of the other states around Australia. You've got Queensland looking at this now. Uh, WA is also looking at it. The ACT is looking at it. What are your thoughts here, Martin? Well, this has really come out of uh, left field in some ways. Everybody knew that Victoria was thinking about uh, what they call LGBT conversion therapy laws. Nobody thought that Queensland was thinking about this, uh, but it turns out that Queensland have actually, out of the blue, uh, in, a, in an act that nobody expected, uh, tabled a bill in the Queensland Parliament, the, the, the Queensland Labor government of Premier Anastasia Palaget. And what people need to know about this bill, and the reason it's so maddening, is that effectively it is a law that says if you are a doctor, a counsellor, or a health professional, or simply, you know, it may include pastors, it may include unaccredited people that just do counselling work, or, you know, it could include the sort of help that parents get for their children when they have um, mental health concerns and whatnot. If any of these people affirm somebody in a homosexual identity or a transgendered identity, that can never be conversion therapy. And so they can do that as much as they like in relation to whomever they like. However, if they affirm somebody in a heterosexual, a straight identity, or what you'd call a cisgendered identity, in other words, confirm them in their biological sex, which is, of course, what we as Christians would think is often the best thing to do, then that can be considered conversion therapy and therefore a criminal offence and a jailable offence. Now, <laughs> this boggles my brain, as if the government knows every single case 
that's likely to present to these health professionals and counsellors and knows what's best for every man, woman and child in the state that nobody can ever pursue as the right course of action their straight identity if they have queries about their sexual orientation or they cannot pursue their biological sex if they have queries about their their gender identity is absolute ideological madness. And you know who's going to suffer. It's going to be the people who try and give Christian advice on these matters. Um, These are very, very dangerous laws. Now, in Victoria, they're not just thinking about it in relation to health professionals. They're thinking about it in relation to pastors, in relation to churches, in relation to parents, in relation to all sorts of people. It's very, very worrying stuff. So when you hear that word conversion therapy, it's thoroughly confusing. What it basically means is you can't tell somebody they're either not gay or they're not transgendered. And while the legislation might be talking about all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, drugs or uh, shock therapy, as people like to talk about these things, of course, uh, what comes in there when there is an engagement with people in church life uh, can very easily, on this slippery slope uh, downhill, be considered to be gay conversion therapy. And so uh, churches have a worry there, and we've spoken about that sort of thing before, but really when it comes down to close to home, Martin, mums and dads Mm. are the ones who are going to suffer greatly here, particularly if they have a child Mm. who is uh, expressing a little confusion. What are your thoughts for parents here? Well, you've nailed it, uh, Neil. I think a lot of people, when they hear the phrase LGBT conversion therapy, they think of things like you see in the movies, like boot camps or, or electroshock therapy or hideous things like that. That kind of stuff hasn't happened for decades. It doesn't happen in Australia, and it wasn't even just religious communities that did that back in the 60s and whenever it was governments as well. Uh, all of that's in the past. What we're talking about with these laws is none of those things. What we're talking about with these laws, and it specifically says in the discussion paper in Victoria that they're using to, 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 to help them draft the laws, it, I, it says this could include reading of scriptures. This could include praying. This could include encouraging you know, a child to a life of abstinence or celibacy. This could include Christian teachings around abstinence. This, you know, it, it's, it's so remarkably anti-Christian and anti-gospel and so brazen in the way that it says it, that you're left kind of just thinking to yourself, good grief, what's happened here? Uh, And I don't think many Australians would would consider that this is likely to happen here in this country, but it is happening, and that's what the policies say. So people shouldn't be concerned that we're advocating for something coercive or nasty. All we're advocating for is that the Christian scriptures be able to be read, that the Christian gospel be proclaimed, and that parents, as you rightly identify, be able to raise their children in accordance with what's right and true and good. Another dimension quickly here, of course, uh, oftentimes uh, the first person, if it's not uh, the pastor or some level of counsellor through the local church who might be introduced to these ideas and the challenges that a family faces, it's, it's sometimes if it's not the church, it's the family doctor. And you've got family doctors who are Christian, and uh, so many of us will know that you know our family doctor holds a deep level of Christian faith, and they're at risk too with these laws, Martin. Mm. Well, my own father is a family doctor, so uh, and you know these people have many, many loyal patients who uh, love them and and whose families they have cared for over many years. And, uh, you know, the government is coming along and saying to them, do you know what, even if it's your professional opinion that this child who is gender dysphoric should remain uh, identifying in their biological sex, you better be careful about saying that because you could be committing a criminal offence. 
pretty crazy stuff. And, and, and I think the point there is that this affects more people than we at first realise. It actually affects huge sections of the community that are trying to do the best they can in their professional life and for people that they know. Uh, the government saying that, no, no, government knows best. But it also affects ordinary people like parents who are just trying to raise their kids or, or indeed people, counsellors at schools and all sorts of things like that. Let's move on. The Northern Territory has uh, moved to decriminalise prostitution. Uh, these laws passed the Northern Territory Parliament last Tuesday night. What are your concerns there? Yeah, that's a real shame, I think, um, that prostitution's been decriminalised in the Northern Territory. Shortly after, by the way, uh, a bill to decriminalise prostitution in South Australia was defeated. So we had good news in South Australia, and now all of a sudden we've got some bad news uh, coming out of the Northern Territory. Uh, the real problem with this is that uh, we know from studies and from statistics that decriminalising prostitution increases prostitution dramatically uh, in a particular area. We know that that's bad as Christians, but uh, I think everybody needs to know that it's bad because one of the primary outcomes of that is that it increases trafficking. And Australia is one of the top 25 trafficking destinations in the world for actually sex trafficking of, 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 uh, of women, usually. Usually women from Southeast Asia. Australia is a destination for that. And a lot of people don't realise there's a great deal of that taking place in our communities. And this is one of those things that, you know, the Australian Federal Police acknowledge it. Uh, it's known about, uh, you know, the different NGOs and the UN level acknowledge it. Very little policy action on the ground in Australia to deal with it. And when you decriminalise prostitution, you increase prostitution, you open the doors for legal brothels and you open the doors for a free flow of human trafficking. Women, girls from Southeast Asia who are effectively enslaved against their will. It's a hideous and awful and wicked trade. And uh, what we should be doing, the ACL says, is well, we should fight trafficking. And the first step towards that is to make prostitution illegal and the next step towards that is to introduce frameworks and programs where you can actually go and rescue these women. Uh, and that's what we're advocating for, and that's the right thing to do. I think there's some good things summed up by your colleague, Wendy Francis, uh, who's the Queensland uh, Australian Christian Lobby State Director. And uh, she says women should never be bought and sold. And if you're bringing that down to a simple conclusion about where a Christian might stand on these issues of prostitution, that's probably not a bad place to start. Uh, this is a buying and selling of women that she actually uh, goes on to say it's sexist and it's racist, it exploits women, uh, women in poverty, women who are homeless. Uh, of course, the alternative, and it's all very well to criticise these things, but the alternative, and I think uh, uh, the Australian Christian Lobby has been advocating for this, is this idea of a Nordic model. It doesn't seem to be getting through the message about this Nordic model that changes the way people look at prostitution. I imagine there's still a lot more work to do on that, Martin. Well, there is. I mean, one of the things we'd really love to do is launch a national campaign uh, in favour of what has been in the past called the Nordic model. Uh, I think it's just an anti-trafficking model. Effectively, it says that if you buy a woman, you're committing a criminal offence. I mean, here I am sitting here thinking, well, that's no revolutionary idea <laughs> at all. Uh, and yet it is. Uh, our laws don't currently acknowledge that. And um, uh, that should be the case. It should be a, a criminal offence to buy a woman or indeed a man uh, for those services. Uh, and, um, you know, those who are trapped in 
that exploitation, particularly trafficking victims, need to be able to have the pathways to get out. Uh, and the legislation in Sweden, Norway, uh, and other Nordic countries at the moment is pretty good on this, and it works. We actually know now that Sweden is uh, a destination that traffickers avoid. They take uh, they take all of their trafficking victims from Eastern Europe down into uh, into the Netherlands and Germany instead. Uh, and Swedish police report that it's practically a non-issue uh, up there because they have changed the law. And uh, we're arguing for the same thing. I'd love to launch a national campaign, but I do think there's real hope in the state of South Australia, where through uh, a lot of advocacy and effort from the ACL down there, we were able to defeat the decriminalisation bill, and that has naturally evolved into a conversation with policymakers about what would be a good alternative. So watch that space. We may well find ourselves in a situation where some good movement is about to happen on this front in Australia. One more issue, and I know there's lots of things we could still cover, but let's turn our attention for just a moment to Western Australia because December 10th is a date that's coming up, shaping as a significant day in the West Australian Parliament and MPs likely to be recalled from summer leave to pass voluntary assisted dying laws in the Legislative Assembly. Uh, What are your concerns here, Martin? Well, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, uh, I was quite surprised to see that because a recall of Parliament on the summer break is just odd. Uh, It really rarely happens. And then when you realise that they're doing it in order that they can quickly pass euthanasia laws, you go, wow, uh, somebody's heavily committed to uh, these laws. And we know that the laws in WA and and Nick Coiran, a member of the upper house there in WA, made a valiant effort at raising uh, the alarm on some of the real concerns with that legislation. Uh, The one that sticks out to me is the concern that two doctors can sign off for you to die and they don't have to be at arm's length from each other. They could be colleagues in the same building. They could be working for the same medical clinic. They could be in, you know, the same office uh, and they can just sign it and and away you go. You're off. And uh, the problem there is, of course, you end up with what they have in Europe, which is effectively death clinics where somebody walks in and says, hey, I'd like to die. And they've got two doctors standing right there who'll sign on the dotted line. No further questions asked. There's no due process that takes place. And People say, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, it does happen. It actually is happening in several countries. Uh, there's mobile clinics in the Netherlands where they drive around to your house and visit you and do the job if you want to. Um, you know, there's thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of euthanasia deaths uh, in those countries every year. Uh, it's Look, it's wrong because once you open that door and you don't have the right safeguards in place, you, you're in for a world of pain. And... Uh, I always, there was a time in my life when I thought, well, if you just told people the truth about these things, they would change their mind. But um, actually, people are sometimes ideologically committed to these things. And um, I think we're seeing a little bit of that from the McGowan Labor government in Western Australia, where they're going as far as recalling Parliament uh, in an extraordinary move, such as their ideological commitment to this issue. So it doesn't sound to me like there's a lot of reasonable... Uh, debate that can uh, change their mind at this juncture and it's a sad thing and I think we should uh, maybe pray that there'll be a future WA state Labor government state government that will uh, repeal these laws because that's sort of where we found ourselves left and uh, you know we've got battlefronts to fight in other states to stop euthanasia laws in those states.
Well, as we've been hearing, there's a lot of, as you call them, Martin, battlefronts that are going on when it comes to the dramatic change that's happening around the nation. And uh, I'll point people to the website for the Australian Christian Lobby. You might want to become informed and understand the way these things are developing around the nation. acl.org.au is the Australian Christian Lobby website. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks so much for such a good, clear update again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.